What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome back to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. So last week, as you know, was the launch of the Wellpreneur book, and it was so exciting. Actually, I'm recording this now just in the middle of launch week, and on the first day, we had over 1,500 downloads on Amazon, which is like so awesome. So I don't have the results yet because like we're right in the middle of it as I'm recording this, but I'll definitely be sharing in the Facebook group. My goal is to hit the number one book in small business marketing, and so let's see what we can do. So if you haven't downloaded the book yet, definitely go grab your copy on Amazon. You can just go on Amazon and type Wellpreneur. Also, I'll link up to it in the show notes and from the Facebook group, or you can go to wellpreneurbook.com. So many ways to get the book. But the number one thing that you can do to help spread the word about the Wellpreneur book is to not only download it on Amazon, but then leave a review. Because once you've made a purchase on Amazon and then you leave a review, Amazon's algorithm actually uses that to help increase the ranking of the book and show it to more people. So if you want to really help me spread the word, of course, I would appreciate if you share the link and tell your friends. But really, if you could take a minute and go to Amazon and leave me a review, that would be so incredibly helpful. Now, today on the show, we've got an awesome guest who is a little bit different from our standard wellpreneur. This week, I'm talking to Flatland BMX rider Terry Adams. Yes, he's a BMX bike rider, and our conversation's really fun. So what I loved about this conversation, and the reason I wanted to have Terry on the show, is because Flatland BMX is like a super niche type of BMX bike riding, and he's made a whole career out of it. And one way that he's really done that is through sponsorships. And the way Terry approaches sponsorships, as he'll talk about, is a bit different from what the mainstream riders do. So I thought this was super relevant for Wellpreneurs, actually, because not only has he made a career out of something that's super niche, which I think a lot of you can relate to, but also he's using sponsors to bring in revenue into his business, into his life. And that's something that we can do also in the wellness world. I mean, what if you could get a sponsor to provide products for your clients or for your workshops or to provide supplements or body care products or food products or equipment or whatever else you need to do your business? And if you could get those supplied to your business and actually be paid to use them through sponsorships, it'd be pretty cool, right? So keep an open mind during this interview and think creatively about how you can apply what Terry's teaching in terms of sponsorships to your life. Plus, honestly, Terry's just a pretty cool guy, and I didn't know anything at all about BMX. I'm totally not that target market, and it was just a super interesting conversation. Also, what he does is like completely incredible. It's kind of like dancing on a bike. So I'll also share a video in the show notes and in the Facebook group if you really want to get a glimpse into what Flatland BMX is like, because it's pretty incredible. Okay, so now let's jump over into this interview with Flatland BMX rider, Terry Adams. Hey, 
Hey, Terry, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be on. I was really looking forward to talking to you because you're a little bit different than a lot of the people that we have on the show because you're not directly working in wellness, right? But what you're doing, which is so super cool, is you have something you were crazy passionate about and you've turned it into a super successful business. And that's why I wanted you to come on and, and talk about how this has all unfolded for you. So, so you're a Flatland BMX rider. So let's start by just, can you tell people who have no idea about the BMX world, like what that even means? Yeah, so basically BMX stands for bicycle motocross. And basically years ago, it started off as just kids racing bikes on and and it was racing on BMX tracks. And now today there's tons of different disciplines in BMX. There's like park BMX, which you see the guys like riding on the ramps on the X Games. And there's street BMX where you see like guys like grinding down the rails. And then there's still like racing in BMX where there's like you actually there's actually racing in the in the Olympics for BMX and uh there's vert BMX where there's like a huge ramp that's you know shaped like a U where guys you know ride on that and then there's flatland BMX and I would say it's probably 5% of the US market it's pretty like you say a niche side of of BMX and it's more of the artsy side of BMX riding. And it's kind of like painting a picture on the bike and doing tricks on the flat ground. The best way I can explain it is almost like break dancing on a bike. And that's what I do. Awesome. It's really incredible. So I'm going to link up a couple of your videos in the show notes. Um, we also got a Facebook group with quite a few listeners in there. So I'll link those up so everyone can like really understand what it is that you do because it's pretty cool. So Perfect. take us back to how did you get started with this? It started as a childhood just passion, right? That you just wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, like you see things that you want to do and and you get inspired, right? And that's it, essentially exactly how this happened. I just rode around the neighborhood with a bunch of kids and, you know, everyone just rode bikes. And from that it, it turned into like me buying VHS tapes and and me buying magazines and me just kind of almost obsessing about the riders that I saw that were professionals that did this sport of flatland. So as a kid, I would kind of go through the BMX magazines and they would only maybe out of a magazine of 200 pages, there would be like 10 flatland photos in there. And I would rip all those pages out and just stick them on my, my wall as a kid and just pretty much stare at those photos and idolize each guy in, in the magazine. And as a kid, I never really thought I wanted to make a living from this. I was just a kid. So the object of making money was never in my mind. I just wanted to be as good as the guys that were in the pages of the magazines or on the TV screens of these VHS tapes that I was buying. And then as time went on, I realized that my obsession of wanting to be in the magazines and my obsession of wanting to be in the VHS tapes turned into me actually, you know, putting in so much time of an effort of wanting to be in the media, I actually built a name for myself in Flatland BMX um, with support of my family, you know, traveling, bringing me around to different contests around the United States. And uh, from there, it it really, the day I kind of realized that I could make money from riding is the day it kind of triggered in my head that I could make a living from this. And I started taking things much more serious. When was that for you that you really realize like what was the turning point where you thought oh this could actually work like I could support myself doing this I think from an early age I was probably like 16 and I just 
I started this like notebook and I just started putting down like goals of what I wanted. And I was so sponsorship driven and so endorsement driven as at a young age. And I'm not really sure why I think that I kind of put it together that these pro riders were doing something that they loved and they didn't have to have a nine to five job. So in my mind, I wanted to do everything I could to make that happen. So I had this notebook and I actually still have the notebook. You could barely read it because of the ink is kind of worn off inside there. But I just started just writing down goals of like, contact this company, you know, make sure to stay in touch with, with this guy, go into the back of the magazine and call this number and figure out this and take this 1-800 number and call it weekly and get an address to send a, a VHS tape to these guys. So I was very proactive as like a 10, 11, 12 year old kid, because back then that's, that's the only way you could kind of get into the industry was to kind of push yourself in there. If you were from like a state as far away as California as myself, I'm in Louisiana and a lot of that stuff was happening in California. So I really kind of just like took the reins myself and uh, just started calling numbers. And back then I was writing letters to other pro riders and just doing everything I could to kind of weasel my way into the industry. So a couple of the things you've mentioned, which I'm sure you well, I, you probably because you were a kid, you probably did this just because like it was an innate thing you just thought about doing. But like. So you basically got pictures of what you want, like all over the wall. And then you were just like writing it down and making lists. And those are the kind of things that actually you read about in self-help books and like business success books, right? Like get really clear on what you want and write it down. And you just did that. Yeah, I would basically make like a goal checklist. And, you know, back then it was more of a checklist. And today it's more of a goal list, you know, or a really defined to-do list on each month or, or each year, what I, what I really want to accomplish. But back then I, I look back about, you know, the things that I was writing down and, and it was pretty goal oriented as well. How do you decide what you want? Do you do it like a planning process at the beginning of the year? Or like, how is it that you decide now what you're going to go after? To be honest, it varies from year to year. But when I first started and when I was looking to get corporate sponsors and just companies that would get behind me and support me, I would literally just go to a magazine store, say Books a Million, and I would pick up a magazine and just kind of scroll through it and see which companies I thought fit me best. And then it was almost like a numbers game to me. I would pick out 20 companies in the magazine that I thought was a fit to me. And then from there, I would I would email those companies and see the response I would get back and kind of basically self-taught myself on how to market myself throughout the years through kind of just digging and searching on which companies fit me best. And then I would kind of find a way within each company that I could market myself within that company. So is that today still how you make most of your money is through sponsorships? Yes. Most Flatlanders in the US are making a living from doing like school shows or, you know, going around and doing shows at festivals or fairs or going to speak at elementary schools about bullying and then using Flatland as kind of like a side act to get the students' attention. I myself am still making a living from Flatland from endorsement deals, whether you know that be a uh, Red Bull energy drink has been a sponsor of mine for 15 years. I'm now sponsored by LifeProof, which is uh, OtterBox, which is the, the cell phone case, Tiger Bomb, which is like a, an ointment rub. Like you mentioned, the Levitate Float Center. These are all companies that really kind of 
fit me and stuff that I would already be doing. So it, it just kind of fits the wheelhouse of, of things that would already fit. So it, it works. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to go after companies that it's, it's brands that I'm already, already using, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about that. So like sponsorships, an area where I know it can, t- it can work in lots of different industries. Like you don't have to be like a sports celebrity to get sponsored. Like you can get sponsored. Anybody out there listening could get sponsored for things related to their business. So like, for example, you talked about Tiger Balm or Flotation Center, those kind of border on things that like we'd be interested, like the wellness industry is interested in, right? Like people could get sponsored by essential oil brands or I don't know, healthy food companies. So I'd love to dig into a little bit how you actually go about getting the sponsors and like, how do you like, do they approach you or do you, are you still like just looking for companies that you use and love and then you pitch them? Yeah. I'm still like to this day going after companies myself. And it, it used to be years ago where I would, was was sending in hard copies of like binders of all the magazine coverage I would get and just screen copies of, of all the DVDs that I was in. And now that things have changed and the internet is the way it is. Uh, it's it's as simple as taking a screenshot of how many views my Instagram video or my Facebook video got and then creating a presentation around that and letting these companies know exactly how much how many eyeballs I can get to look at their brand. So to be completely honest, I feel it's it's a lot easier nowadays to obtain a sponsor that that you're interested in. So today I, I kind of go after companies in a way where I could put together let's say a PowerPoint presentation to where I kind of recap the year before on everything that I did for my current sponsors. And then I kind of highlight all the things that, that I'm doing that, that the company would like, whether that be views on videos or how many people I'm performing in front of that I could be wearing their shirt in front of or their product in front of. And then, and just anything under the wheelhouse of how many eyeballs I can be like, literally be putting in front of the that the the brand so it's really about i mean i guess as you get when you were first getting started you didn't have all that stuff to say oh i was in all these magazines and i didn't you know all this like credibility in it but over time it must get a lot easier because now you've got a huge i mean your your social media following is totally massive it's like over four hundred thousand on facebook yeah and like i said before it, it it was still it was still doable i was just I was printing these things out from, you know, and I was making copies of magazines and putting these binders together and I was sending them out as like a hard copy package. But now I'm sending, I'm sending like PDF files. It's like a a 10 page file that these companies can just kind of scroll through and look at a presentation of what Terry Adams can do for them in a year or two or three years time. So what I'm loving about this is like, so you make a living doing BMX Flatland, but like actually there's all this other work that goes into it that people probably don't realize. Like you're pitching yourself for sponsors and then you're like promoting the sponsors and you're building your social media and you're doing like, you know, all this other marketing stuff. It's, I mean, it's really running a business. It's like the business of you. It is. And the cool thing about it is, is I've been doing it for so long. It doesn't really feel like a job. You know, it, it honestly just feels like I'm I'm doing what I love and literally it's been a dream come true because like I said, as a kid, I seen all the kids I seen all the guys in the magazines riding bikes, but I didn't think back then that they were making a living from it. And nor did I know that Flatland was like the smallest discipline of BMX back then. But now being in it for so long and knowing that, I've kind of 
use that to my advantage and not promoted myself as just a flatland rider, but promoted myself as a BMX rider and not just a BMX rider that's really good at contests, but a BMX rider that understands marketing and understands what companies want from an athlete and just all in all gets the marketing side of being sponsored by a company. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's like, I can imagine like a huge differentiator because probably loads of people don't even, they just want to, they're not even thinking about the business side, right? They're just thinking about the sport and like to actually have that angle makes you, I'd imagine much more appealing for sponsors. Yeah. I would like to think so. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. So I want to talk about social media because like I said, you've got just a huge following. So it's like over 400,000 on Facebook and like 60,000 something on Instagram. And you said you're still managing your social media on your own. So tell us about that. Like, how has that developed for you? I've seen it definitely change throughout the years. When Instagram first came out, and let's say I, I built my following up to, to 5,000 or 10,000 just through like posting videos and, you know, doing contests for my sponsors that I would kind of come up with on my own or kind of collaborate with them, I would see that following grow substantially like each time I did a contest or if I did something new on Instagram whether it be a new trick or a a crazy photo of me riding on the water I would I would see tons and tons of engagement but now social media for extreme sports and I, I can imagine for all different things that are across the board on social media are definitely changing daily more people are just not as engaged so you kind of have to go in with the mindset of how do I get these people engaged? You know what I mean? Like, be, And you can even look at five years from today of how you acted on Instagram and what your behaviors were. You pretty much liked everything that came through. You, you commented on something if you thought it was like really, really awesome. And nowadays, if you pay attention to the behaviors of yourself, you're just kind of scrolling through and maybe not liking everything that you see. So for not just myself as an athlete, but for all the other BMX athletes and extreme sports athletes, it's almost a job in itself to try to figure out different ways to keep the fans on the other end of the the telephone engaged on, on what you're doing. Yeah. Can you talk about that a bit more? Like, because I think this is relevant, you know, not just for extreme sports, but I mean, the trends you were talking about, I mean, I've experienced that too. Like I remember back when I first started, so I started a like a natural beauty website, like what God's like seven years ago now. And I used to get so many comments, like people used to comment on blogs. Like now, I mean, you know, (laughs) nobody comments on blogs and the same things happened on social media. I think is that, you know, it's just what you said, like as there's more and more content, it's harder and harder to get attention. So like, what are some of the things that, that you're experimenting with or that are working for you now to kind of build that community and get attention? Obviously, a lot of riders in the industry are turned off to to your Instagram page just kind of looking like an ad, just kind of looking like you're out there just promoting all these products. So it's kind of a balance of showing a little bit of your personal life and then obviously promoting the products that you you believe in and not doing it in a way that's so forceful. So like I said, years ago, I would post a photo of just me in a parking lot and I would get two or three, 4,000 likes. And now I'm 50,000 followers more than I had before. And if I just, if I would go to post a picture of me riding in a parking lot, it's just not going to get that many likes. It's just people just 
are just kind of almost numb to the fact that so many people are uploading content, no, no matter if it's BMX or skateboard or ice skating or wakeboarding or surfing. They're just kind of numb to the fact that they're seeing so much of this content come through. So I've done everything from schedule shoots that are, are me riding on the water or schedule shoots of me trying to ride on the side of a mountain. I've did different contests to where I'm trying to engage the people on the other side of the phone to where they think they're going to win something or they know that they're going to win something. And all this just comes from kind of knowing your fan base and figuring out what they want. So not thinking so much about like, oh, what are you excited about today? But it's like thinking about them and like, what do they want to see? Or what are they most interested in? Like turning yeah. around, right? Yeah, they definitely want to see something different. So to give you an example, one of my sponsors, Tiger Bomb, if you scroll through my page, you might see me authentically using Tiger Bomb, which is an ointment that you rub on your on your muscles if something is sore or achy. I if you see just love it. Tiger Bomb <laughs> is like, awesome. It's like my favorite yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes, Can I just say randomly to like fully derail the conversation? I was in Thailand earlier this year and we made Tiger Bomb like from scratch with like hot chili. I mean, okay, it's not the same brand, but it's basically the same thing. And oh my God, it's hot. Like it's wow. so good. That kind of stuff. Wow. Love it. That's awesome. So basically, you know, these days, if I just post a photo of me holding a uh, Tiger Bomb, I really have to think about my demographic because my demographic is like kids that are from age 17 to to 28 and they're all male. So for them to just see a photo, it's not really going to get them excited and engaged. So I've uh, hired a videographer and I add him into pretty much every one of my contracts that I help write with every sponsor that I have that I help create. And the videographer will create a video that's a little bit more engaging than just a photo of me holding the tiger bomb. It, it kind of show, it'll play out a story of me riding and then using the tiger bomb or me doing a photo shoot and then using the tiger bomb. And that tends to get a little bit more engagement. So I think that's something for everyone to think about is, you know, look into your analytics and your social media and see who is actually following you and you can kind of gauge on common sense on what kind of content you need to be putting out. I'd like to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about money mindset. I know you have some interesting thoughts about how you've been able to kind of expand your acceptance of money or your mindset around money or like what you can do with money and success. So can you talk a little bit about like, what was that journey like? What was your situation as a kid? And then kind of how has this changed as you've experienced more success? When I started to get money for riding my bike, it was at a very young age. So at first it was like, I was getting a couple hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks there, and I was just making enough to like get by. And for me at, at the time when I was a kid, oh, I was like, this is great. I'm living my dream and I'm, I'm getting by. And at the time it was like, that was enough for me because I almost didn't, I don't know if I want to say I didn't believe I was worth more, but as I started traveling more and meeting more people and coming across individuals that had a higher mindset about money and a different mindset about money, I came across a friend that gave that recommended a book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And when I read that book, it really kind of changed the way I thought about money because it was the premise of the book is 
it kind of goes into your financial blueprint of what you thought about money as a kid and how you were raised to think about money as a kid and kind of changes and changes that and gets you out of the mindset that you were taught and get you thinking into a different mindset. And so after I read that book, it really kind of changed things for me. And then every dollar that came in, every little bit of cash that came in from riding my bike, I started to think of the money in a different way. I started breaking the money up in, into different accounts. And I started taking an account, not just for savings, but putting it in an account just for investing or doing something with a, a separate business, whether it be real estate or investing in a different company. And I almost started to give every dollar a purpose, if that makes sense. And the second I started managing my money was like the moment I had more money to manage. And uh, it seems pretty cliche. That's something that I read in the book, but it's something that I still kind of live by today. It's like almost the more accounts that I open to like give money that comes in a purpose, the more money I, I tend to make because the money that comes in, I give it a purpose and then I go from there. Awesome. So you're doing a few different things with it, right? Like I know you're doing some real estate investing and then you said you, you're also investing in a women's clothing company. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't started as a women's clothing company, but it was, it's the, the company is ttmlifestyle.com and TTM stands for things that matter. So it's basically anyone out there that has something that matters to them in their life. And that's what kind of drew me into the company when I first invested in it. And it started off and it was an, an all male an all males brand. And it's kind of triggered over into an all almost all females brand for a number of reasons. But yes, that company is TTMlifestyle.com. And you're doing some real estate investing too. Cause I, I was listening to one of your other interviews as I was preparing for this. And <laughs> you said something like that you, when you were thinking about what happens next after BMX, you really didn't want to get in a situation that you had to go back into a job. So you started thinking, well, sponsorships kind of passive income. So what else can I do that's passive income? And that was real estate. Yeah. It's almost like I thought I was getting passive income because when I was told what passive income was, I didn't really understand it. Someone told me like, oh, passive income is, is when money just comes and you're not really working for it. And being a professional athlete, that's kind of how you feel. You feel like you're just getting checks in the mail to like do what you love. So in my mind, I thought I was getting passive income. But the reality of it is, is being a professional athlete, and getting checks in the mail to do what you love is not passive income. There's going to be a time when I'm not riding bikes and sponsors are not going to be paying me to promote their products or to ride my bike. And when that stops, if that money stops, then you don't really have passive income. So it wasn't to the moment that I learned that I can invest in something like a property, like say an investment home, and get monthly income every month to have that passive income coming through. Let's say you buy a house for $25,000 and you get $600 a month coming in. Like to me, it almost felt like I was like replacing a sponsor or something. And so the moment I realized that that was possible, I really started to take money management and investing a little bit more serious because I knew it was kind of, it needed to be my life after riding because after riding was over, I, like you said, I, the last thing I wanted to do was get a nine to five job. If I've been riding a bike for, for the past 20 years to, to, to make money. Cool. So we're kind of getting to the end of our time together, but I'm, I always really curious to ask people if you could go back and give yourself some advice, like when you were just getting started, what would you tell yourself? 
I would say to be more aggressive than what I was. I was the kid that was, like I said, calling the magazines and calling the 1-800 numbers. And then as time progressed, I was going through and and emailing a hundred different companies a week, trying to find a company that was a fit and that believed in me. If I could go back and do even more of that, I would, because I see that it's actually worked out for me. And it's, and everything that I did as a child has, has made me who I am today. And I'm not ashamed of it at all. There was a point in my career where there's an award called the, the Nora Cup Award where writers vote to, vote who they think the best was in the industry. And I actually emailed every writer that I knew that was going to get a ballot and asked them to vote for me. And I did that and I I ended up winning that year. And those are things that I don't regret. And those are things that I would push people to do is not be afraid to be proud of what they can bring to the table, no matter what they do. Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's a great note to end it on too. Terry, it's been really fantastic talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Oh, no problem. It was awesome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. If you want to see a video of Terry writing, then you can get that both in the show notes at wellpreneuronline.com as well as in our Facebook group. And don't forget to download your copy of the Wellpreneur book. It's available now on Amazon and it's the ultimate guide for wellness entrepreneurs to nail your niche and find clients online. I'd love for you to read a copy and then to leave me a review on Amazon. You can find that at wellpreneurbook.com or also just go on to Amazon and search Wellpreneur. Okay, have a fantastic week, guys. And I will see you in the Facebook group and I'll see you back here next week for the next episode.